Well, we now come to our reading. And it's found in Matthew's Gospel. We're beginning a new season as Advent, as Amanda mentioned to us earlier on. We are turning to look towards Christmas time, Christmas tide. And it is a season of hope. And we're going to read now from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and verses 1 to 17. Originally, when I asked um, Jenny to do the reading this Sunday, I'd forgotten that we're going to be doing this reading from Matthew 1 to to 17, and and I forgot just how complicated it was. So I I had mercy on you, Jenny, and um, I'm going to do this reading for for you now. So here we go. The genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Here Matthew writes for us, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amimadad, Amimadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asher, Asher the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amon, and Amon, the father of Josiah, and Joseph, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. And Abihud was the father of Elikim, and Elikim was the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihid, and Elihid the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Maphon, and Maphon the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to the Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. May God bless to us now that reading of his word. Three blonde Essex girls were stumbling home late one night after a night clubbing, when they found themselves on a road that led past an old graveyard. And being slightly tipsy, the girls thought it would be a great laugh to have a look around this old graveyard. Come look over here, shouted Sharon. This grave is to a certain Dorothy Smith, God bless her. She lived to the ripe old age of 101. That's nothing, bellowed Jordan. This one's named to Charlotte Andrews. It says here that she lived to be 103. Then Melissa yelled out, 
girls, come over here and look at this. This little stone next to the wall says that this bloke died aged 145 years old. What? said the other girls. What was his name? Asked Sharon. Melissa licked the, the, Alyssa match and peered down at the stone on the wall and shouted, It's Miles! Miles from Birmingham! There are many, many people who spend a good amount of time looking around graveyards and cemeteries, looking at the old gravestones, helping to establish their lineage. These people are called genealogists, and they're seeking the genesis or the origin of their family lines. And we've just read 17 verses, or I've just read 17 verses, detailing us the lineage of Jesus that begins in Matthew's Gospel. Now, this may seem a really unusual way to begin any story. Today, if a film industry were to, for example, present the life of Jesus for the first time, it would hardly begin with a long list of dead, dusty ancestors, a lineage, or go to the credits. Surely, if they began the story of Jesus, it will begin with a titled, Hunted! And it will begin in the Garden of Gethsemane. It will begin on that dark, lonely night when Jesus is praying for God to find another way and we see in the distance the torchlights of the, of the priests and of the soldiers searching for Jesus, hunting for him in the garden. We like to begin epic stories with a bang, with something spectacular, not a tedious list of ancestors. And yet while we, we may find these lists strange and perhaps, if we're honest, a little boring, that was not how the ancient people, the Jewish people, saw them. And Matthew was a Jew. He wrote his gospel to help the Jewish people discover just who Jesus was. Because Matthew was excited about his discovery of this man. Because he realized that Jesus wasn't just a carpenter. He wasn't just a man who hailed from Galilee. He discovered that this man was the one they'd all been waiting for. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And so he begins his account by using this ancestral list, a genealogy that shows that Jesus was someone very special indeed. You see, the Jews were fascinated by genealogies. They were very much an important part of Jewish life. They set great store by these ancestral lists because by these ancestral lists, they proved that the person was a true Israelite, that they were a true son of Abraham, that they were a true uh, child of God. If a Jew had any mixture of foreign blood in his line, then it could compromise his right to being called a Jew. It would compromise his right to claim to be a child of God. And this is why there was this great hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, because the Samaritans lived in the Northern Kingdom, and when the Northern Kingdom had been conquered by the Assyrians, many of the Jews in the Northern Kingdom had eventually married families from Assyria, and they'd become a mixture of Jewish and Assyrian blood. And therefore they were given the name after the area they lived, Samaria, and became Samaritans. But they were seen as an unpure people, because their genealogy was no longer pure. In fact, to become a priest in Israel, you had to demonstrate you had a pure lineage going all the way back in an unbroken line, all the way back to Aaron. And if a, if a Jewish priest married, his wife had to produce a pedigree going back at least five 
generations, and you can read about that in Ezra chapter 2 and verse 61. These official genealogies were seen as so important, these ancestral lists, but they were kept by the Jewish ruling council, by the Sanhedrin under lock and key. Having a pure line could determine whether you're accepted by your friends and by your peers. And the infamous King Herod, the man famous for the slaughter of the innocents, this man, Herod himself, was infamous also because he was believed to come from mixed blood. He was, everyone knew he was half Edomite. So to silence these rumours, what does he do? Herod had all the official genealogies destroyed so that no one could prove that they were more pure than him. That's one of the reasons he was so hated by the Jews. You see, lineage and predigree was very important to the Jewish person. And so Matthew begins by talking about the coming of Jesus by demonstrating just how important his line is. And the first thing he talks about in this is his family past, the family past. He writes in verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, sorry, the son of David, the son of Abraham, in verse 1. A record of the genealogy. Remember I mentioned earlier on that that word genealogy is literally derived from Genesis. It means the beginning. And what Matthew is saying here is that here is a new beginning. Something different is about to happen. Jesus, this man, is the Messiah. He's bringing a new beginning, a new genesis for the world and for you and me. So while we may not see the beginning of a, of a genealogy as being exciting, it was very exciting to the Jewish people. Because here Matthew is shouting out of his pages, listen, Listen, in the army, when a senior NCO, like a sergeant major, wants to gain the attention of soldiers around him, he will stand in the group and shout, OK, listen in. And that bellowing voice, that command to listen in, the noise of conversation will subside, and people will literally lean in towards the centre to hear what the sergeant major has to say. And Matthew is saying, OK, world, listen in. This is important. What follows is of vital importance to you, to me. Here is a new genesis. Here is a new beginning. Because Jesus, he says in verse 1, is the son of David. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is referred to as the son of David repeat, re repeatedly. And then when he comes into the epistles of Paul, Paul often refers to Jesus as the son of David because this was critical. This was very, very important. In fact, Peter begins his sermon in Act two, Acts 2 by describing Jesus as descended from David. And Paul begins the book of Romans by saying, regarding his son who was in his human nature a descendant of David, in Romans 1 verse 3. And in fact, when Jesus speaks at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 22 verse 16, right at the end of the book, Jesus says this, he says, I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Why is Jesus being the son of David so important? It's because it was widely recognised that the Messiah, God's chosen one, God's chosen solution to the problems of this world would come from David's line. 
And Matthew is saying, Jesus is this person. And Paul is saying, Jesus is this person. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is this person. And Jesus says, I am that person. This is critical. From the very early days, in, in when David is born, God tells David that he will give birth to the holy line, the line of the Messiah, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Isaiah the prophet writes in one of his prophecies, in chapter 11, he says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. Matthew is saying, listen people, Jesus is this person. And he's not just the son of David. He's also in verse 1, the son of Abraham. Abraham being widely recognized as the great patriarch of the Jewish people, the father of the Jewish people, the one that God called out of Earl of the Chaldees to follow him in faith and begin that original journey, that journey of friendship and faith, the model for all our Christian faith. Abraham, but actually Jesus' origins goes beyond David, back even to Abraham himself. Matthew is saying, look people, can you not see it? He has all the credentials, all the qualifications, the right lineage. This is the one whom God has sent. But then he seems to blow it. Matthew seems to blow it because then he mentions the family pests. The family pests. Now we've all got family pests. And I'm sure in our histories, in our lineage, we've got skeletons that could very easily fall out the cupboard if we just probe too deep into that darkness. But Matthew seems to open the door wide and let the skeletons tumble out in full view of everyone. He mentions the jetted W word in this genealogy. And he begins talking about women. Now that was quite radical. Because genealogies of the ancient Jewish faith never normally mentioned women at all. If ever they mentioned a woman, it would be one, at very most two. But here, Matthew mentions four women in the line of Jesus. He's not being sexist, he's being true to the culture of the time. And the culture of the time is that women were not seen as um, important in, in the genealogical line. In reality, for every man, there was a woman involved in the birth. In fact, the woman has the most, more important role in one sense. And yet, you never mentioned women in genealogies. And yet, Matthew here mentions four. He mentions four. And not only does he mention four women, but actually most of them aren't exactly paragons of virtue. He seems to be blowing the gaff on the light lineage of Jesus. He first mentions Tamar in verse 3. He says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. What he doesn't tell you is that Judah was not her husband. In fact, he wasn't, she, Judah wasn't just her, wasn't her husband. In fact, he was her father-in-law. And but see, she seduced Judah by pretending to be a prostitute. It seems to get worse. And then you've got mentioned in verse 5, Rahab. He mentions Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Rahab was a sex worker. She was a prostitute who saved the lives of two spies 
who came to gain intelligence about the city of Jericho, where she lived at the time. So when the Israelites later attacked the city of Jericho, Rahab was spared, and her family was spared. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And then there's Ruth. Verse 5 continues, Boaz, the father of Obad, whose mother was Ruth. Well, her problem was is that she didn't belong to the chosen people at all. She was, in fact, deemed to be impure because she was a Moabitess. And Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 says this, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the tenth generation. She belonged to a people named as being outside the presence of God. And finally, finally the last woman is not even named. <laughs> she appears in the text, but she's not given a name. She's described as Uriah's wife. Verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It's a bit like in the Harry Potter films, when you've got the name that should never be mentioned. Bathsheba is the name that in this text can never be mentioned. Of course, we all know that Solomon's mother was, in fact, Bathsheba, the man who King David had an affair with, who committed adultery. And then, to complicate things and to make things worse, he then conspires to have um, Uriah, who in fact was one of his chosen men, a great hero, a great warrior, to have him murdered or, or left. He conspired to have him killed on the battlefield. And so when you look at these four women, you don't just see four women, you see four women of dubious per reputation, skeletons in the lineage of Jesus. Why does Matthew do this? Is he just demonstrating a lack of wisdom? Is he is demonstrating someone who's so excited about knowing Jesus, he doesn't realize the consequences of mentioning these four women in the genealogy of Jesus? No. The first reason he does it is because the Bible is true. The Bible is not make-believe. If Matthew had made this up, he would have invented a really glossy lineage for Jesus and would have made sure that all the skeletons were buried completely in the cupboard and the door locked and put in the furthest room of the house where no one would go near. But he doesn't do that because the Bible is history. And the Bible describes people and their situations with warts and all. It's not pretense, it's not myth, it's not make-believe. This is how it is. And also he does it because there would be doubts fired around the, the, the birth of Jesus Christ because, of course, we know that his mother, who was, who was pledged to be married to Joseph, is found pregnant before they were allowed to actually consummate the marriage. And the baby wasn't, Jesus, uh, wasn't Joseph's. And there was people talking about Mary having an affair. And that here was immorality at play. And what Matthew was doing here is demonstrating, in fact, there's lots of strange circumstances, even around the lineage of King David, the great King David. He's demonstrating that, in fact, people who were trying to argue that were, in fact, being hypocritical. But not only that, it shows in the line of Jesus how people that others consider to be outcasts can be used by God in the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. But none of us, none of us, no matter what our pasts, none of us, no matter what's gone on, none of us cannot be used by God to bring glory to his name and be part of that great history of his coming. That each one of us 
can be used by God. And some pe- sometimes people would say, well, I'm too damaged. I'm damaged goods, Cole. Yeah, of course you are. We're all damaged goods. If we were to look into our lives and open the closet, all of us would have skeleton after skeleton tumbling out, shattering upon the floor. But God is not limited by our pasts because God is, looks towards our futures and can use us if we open our lives to him like Rahab did. We can be part of the glorious story of the coming of Jesus Christ. None of us, none of us is too far gone for God not to use to his glory. God never gives up on people, and nor should we. And in this wonderful genealogy, we see, we see Jesus bringing all the barriers down. The barrier between Jew and Gentile, we find non Jewish people, Gentiles, involved in the history and the lineage of Jesus. So when Paul later on says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ, we see this in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We see the barrier coming down between male and female. But here we have Mary decla- uh, Matthew declaring that women are essentially involved in the genealogy and the birth. And we see this, in fact, in the story of the resurrection because it's the women that go to the tomb first. It's the women that remain with Jesus around the cross. Here we see the good news of the gospel in this genealogy. And we see the barrier between saints and sinners. The Pharisees would say, these people aren't good enough to be used of God. And here we see Matthew saying, God uses everyone. And those we call, that some people call unrighteous, God can use righteously to bring glory to his name. In fact, Jesus himself says in Matthew 9, verse 13, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so often in our lives, if we are people who say, well, I don't like to mix with these unrighteous people because I'm a righteous person, that becomes a barrier between us and God because none of us are righteous. Only one is righteous, Jesus Christ. And it's by his sacrifice that we come to know God. This genealogy is wonderful because it brings all these barriers down and begins to reveal the true nature of the gospel. And lastly, we see in this passage the family purpose the family purpose. You see, in a very simple way, Matthew links the history of the Jews into three simple phases, three simple periods of history. He writes in verse 17, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Matthew here is making a point that most of us miss, as we're not familiar with the Jewish way of thinking. But Matthew was a man of letters. He was a tax collector. And he was interested, like the rabbis at the time of Jesus were interested, in these figures and using a system of numbers that was very common among the rabbis. And Matthew is claiming that in these three periods of history, it came to a point for something new to happen. First, there was the formation of the, of the nation of Israel from Abraham to King David. And that was a period of 14 generations, he said. And at the end of that 14 generations, something new happened. What happened was, in fact, the, the kings after Solomon and David began to become a series of poorer kings. Kings that didn't honour God, didn't worship God properly. Kings were more concerned by their own wealth and their own power 
and we began to see the religion of Israel beginning to become decayed and corrupted. And it led to a period, the next period, the fall and the exile, from David to the exile. And what happened there was a period when first the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom were taken into exile, into Assyria first of all, went into Babylon. And you had a period in which the people of God were in exile in another place. But then eventually, we have the period of hope, the third period of 14 generations, and that's the period from exile to Christ. When the period were allowed to come back, the people were allowed to come back to their homelands, to rebuild the city walls around Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to begin to look forward to what? They began to look forward to God's coming Messiah. The period of hope, like the candle of hope, that Amanda lit earlier on. And that period also was 14 generations. And what Matthew is saying is that this 14 generations is now. He said there was 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, and then 14 generations from the end of the exile to now. He's saying, can you not see the signs? The star in the sky. Can you not see the signs? The Magi in search of, a, of the coming king. Can you not see the signs? The sign is now. Everything points to now. And what happens now? I'll tell you what happens. A virgin called Mary, who's pledged to be married to a man called Joseph, gives birth to a child. Matthew is saying, look, it's all there. If only you choose to look. If only you choose to see. This Christmas time could be a time for some of you who don't know the Lord Jesus, a time of you to actually see what's really happening. Because we can entertain ourselves if we want with the nativities and the singing of carols with the lights around the streets in which we live. We can do all the decorations, we can do the Christmas puddings, we can do the mince pies and all the rest of it, but we will never get it until we realise that the time is now. But Jesus Christ... God's chosen one has come into this world and he's come into this world to give you and me a new start, a new genesis. People, he is the only way. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The time is now. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Matthew is saying, listen. He is saying, listen. Open your ears. Realize that this man is not any man. He is God's man. He is God's chosen way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we first open the Gospel of Matthew, we may see a list of unfamiliar and unpronounceable names, and so dismiss these first 17 verses as of little consequence. But we should never dismiss the Word of God. Matthew's genealogy in introduces us to the heart of the Gospel. Jesus is the King. He comes from a long line of kings. He is God's King. He is the King of kings. And he brings all the barriers down, the barriers of race, of gender, of class, and the past. And he demonstrates that he can use broken and damaged people to bring light into this world. Are you broken? Are you damaged?
Are you not pure born? Are you not of noble heritage? Then God could use you. Let me encourage you to welcome Jesus into your lives. That you may, as Matthew suggests, recognize that here is a new beginning, a new genesis, not just in the book of Matthew, but for you and for me, in your life and in my life. Jesus comes to give us a new start, a new beginning. Begin that beginning with him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful genealogy found in this book of Matthew. And Lord, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you may open our eyes and give us the courage to begin a new journey of faith with you, to begin this new genesis, to realize, Lord, that no matter what the past holds, what skeletons we have in that cupboard of ours, that you give us a new clean slate and you want us to begin with you rebuilding and bringing light and joy and purpose into this world. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you this Christmas. Help us, Lord, as Advent suggests, to embrace your hope and to bring hope to this nation and hope to our families. Lord Jesus, make it so. Amen.